We're going to take some time this morning and study together. Let's pray. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. I want to talk this morning about the time the Lord said no to Moses. And we'll also look at a parable that Yeshua told about a son who said no to his father. I want to start with the story that Moses told about the time that he didn't like what God had decided, and he tried to change God's mind. And I want to connect that with the parable that Yeshua told about the young man who didn't like what his father decided. And so we this young man told his dad, no, I'm not going to do what you say. But it got an interesting twist. Let's read what happens with Moshe from this week's Torah portion. And as background, remember, the Lord had told Moses that Moses would not go into the promised land. He could see it from the other side of the Jordan, but he couldn't go in. He was disappointed and he was pleading with the Lord, and that's why the portion is called the Etchanan. It means I pleaded, or you could translate it, I entreated the Lord, or more simply, I begged the Lord. I begged him. And as we're reading this, remember Moses is a man of perseverance. And so that perseverance also means he doesn't want to give up on something that he thinks he should finish. And so he's saying to the Lord, I need to go into the land because I started with that purpose to get the children of Israel all the way through to the land. That's one part. The other part is we're going to learn something about Moses He's not just a matter-of-fact kind of guy. He's actually someone whose heart is deeply connected to the Lord, and he's speaking with a lot of emotion to God. Deuteronomy 3 in verse 23, then I pleaded without an eye. And I want you to just consider that I pleaded with the Lord. He didn't just say something, he pleaded with God. Have you ever had someone plead with you? Just begging you, please, please. I used to have experiences when our kids were very young, they would ask about certain things, and I would say, wait. Did your parents ever say that to you? Or did you ever say that to your kids? And I would say, wait, and they would come back. They'd wait about 30 seconds and ask again, or a minute, or five minutes, or the next day. You know how kids can be. They would just come back, and they'd ask again, and then again, and then again. And so I wised up, and I learned to say, uh, when they needed to wait, I learned to say, if you want an answer now, the answer is no. If you can wait, we'll see. And so, sometimes they took that to heart. 
But here's how Moses handled it. I pleaded with Adonai. He said some more things about how great and powerful God was. And then in verse 25, he said, please, please let me cross. Please let me go across and see the good land on the other side of the Jordan River, that wonderful hill country in the Lebanon. Verse 26, but Adonai was angry with me on account of you, and he didn't listen to me. Adonai said to me, enough from you. Don't say another word to me about this matter. Every time I read that, I'm amazed that Moses tells us Verse 27, the Lord said, climb up to the top of Mount Pisgah and look out to the west, north, south, and east. Look with your eyes, but you will not cross the Jordan. Instead, commission Joshua, encourage him, strengthen him, for Joshua will lead this people across and enable them to inherit the land that you will only see. So the dialogue is really intense. And the language is emotional, it's strong. And Moses is saying, I pleaded with the Lord. And though this passage is short, we need to read it in such a way that we understand there's intense communication going on between Moshe and Adonai. It sounds to me like Moses is begging the Lord. I think it was definitely emotionally charged, and I definitely think it was not Moses saying, pretty please with the cherry on top. It wasn't that kind of communication. He was pleading, he was begging, he was entreating. That's all contained in that Hebrew, Va'etchanan. Maybe there were tears, I think, even sobbing. And that would make sense that Moses, who had been so committed to finish the task, would think that maybe his life was going to be a waste. Because the Lord was saying, no, you don't finish this part. I think Moses was in agony. And it seems like the Lord was intense too. Have you ever noticed when one person gets intense in a conversation, it's not unusual for the other one to get intense? And then that intensity ratchets up and up and up. Husbands and wives know something about this. <laughs> even if you're a calm, easygoing person, even if you have a lot of self-control, when, when things start ratcheting up and spiraling up, sometimes they go too far. This is why it's really good to learn how to disengage and how to get calm before you come back so that you don't just start from where you left. The Lord knows the emotions are getting hot, and that's why... He says, enough from you. And I love that translation that David Stern rendered. It, it 
reminds me of my friend Peter Monticelli in good Italian in uh, Rochester, New York. Enough from you. Has anybody ever said that to you? I've heard it. Moses says the Lord was angry with them. The Lord wouldn't listen to Moses. It's intense. And the Lord says, don't say another word about this. It's like the Lord, I imagine, is raising his voice and saying, stop it. Moms and dads, have you ever had to say that to your kids? Stop. How, how many people here can raise their voice much more loudly than I just did? Yeah, I'm, I'm not trying to show you how loud I can get. I'm trying to contain it. But the way Moses is describing it, it's intense. It was not a quiet, calm conversation. Now, here's the thing. Remember, Moses is reviewing what had happened earlier, so he's recounting this for us. And Moses had a picture of what his future would be, and now it turns out the Lord has a different picture. And Moses wanted a different future than the Lord had for him. It's what Moses had prepared for. It's what he had given his life to the final chapter of his life. This is written in the 11th month of the 40th year of the journey in the wilderness. It's right before the end of Moses' life. It's not going to be what Moses had in mind. I personally think it's really amazing that Moses takes us into his confidence and shares these intimate details. You know, most of us, we like to look good in the eyes of other people, and we edit things so that we look a little bit better. Isn't it true? It's, it's human nature. There's this whole genre of literature called, I may be mispronouncing it, but it's hagiography. It's the writings um, that remember the saints and the prophets. And usually, those writings glorify the individual and make them seem really, really good. And this is how you know that the scriptures are not of that genre, because they don't make everything look good. They make some situations just look terrible. And so it's actually unusual that Moses would want some of these things to be known by other people. And if he didn't tell other people, they wouldn't know. The reason you and I know this is because it got written down because Moses fulfilled what the Lord told him to do. And it just confirms to me how extraordinary he is. And I think Moshe is mindful of what will be useful to us, to you and me, 
and what will be useful to all those from his time way back then all the way to our time, and in fact, beyond our time to those who will come after us. We get to know his story. We learn quite intimate details from him about him. There is a lot that's revealed here, and we're getting to know Moses much better. As I was thinking about this, I thought it's sort of like Moses is opening up his secret diary. And uh, it makes me think about young people who keep a secret diary where they write down their innermost thoughts and feelings and everything they write is under lock and key. And when I said secret diary, maybe you remember having such a book. You don't have to identify yourselves. Some of you may have such a book right now. But you may remember these, and you may, in fact, remember where you kept the book, where you kept it hidden. And you may remember how the lock worked and the little key that opened the book. At least one of my sisters had a secret diary. Not so secret that I didn't know where it was. (laughs) But I didn't read it. So if my sisters ever hear this message, you can rest assured, I didn't read your diary. So Moses wrote down his secrets, if you will, and he wrote them down, but what's amazing is he gave us permission to read them. It's like he opened the diary or gave us the key and said, you can read what I wrote. I'll tell you what happened. And he tells us this stuff where he's saying to the Lord, let me, please, please, please. And this is a man who's, what, 120? You know, he's not a little kid. And it's a situation, you should understand clearly, that's rife with conflict. Moses could easily have felt betrayed by the Lord. He could have been really disappointed and very hurt. And that kind of pain can drive people to do crazy things, horrible things. Moses could have pulled away from the Lord. He could have felt empty, as if his life had been wasted. He could have had this existential crisis. What was my life all about? Why? Why did I spend my life on this? And what I admire so much about Moses is that he held on to the goodness of the Lord. He knew God was powerful. He knew God was sovereign. He knew he was almighty, but he knew more than that about the Lord. He knew the Lord was good. And he knew that not just in some abstract way, he knew the Lord was good in relationship to him. He knew the Lord loved him, and he knew that God's mercy and I want you to get this part. God's mercy and his severity can coexist. Paul described the Lord this way to the Romans. It's in chapter 11, verse 22. Notice how God is both kind and severe. I think Moses really took to heart that encounter he had on the mountain with the Lord. Where the Lord came down from heaven, it says in in Exodus, he came down from heaven and the Lord stood next to Moses 
and then the Lord passed by at a distance, and the Lord standing next to Moses calls out to the Lord passing by. It's like if it was a movie, it would, you know, be a really cool scene. But it was what Moses experienced and what he wrote down. And it shaped his relationship with God. God of mercy and compassion and love was standing next to Moses. And then God calls out to God, who's passing in the distance. And the God of holiness, the God of truth and justice, the one whose holiness is so bright you have to be shielded from it. But it was one God, one God, Adonai Echad, let's say that, Adonai Echad, who was presenting himself to Moses in two different ways at the same time. Just one God. It's so complex. He's here. He's there. He's near, and he's far away. He's close to me, but he's not like me. But he is like me, but he's not like me. Adonai. And what does Adonai want Moshe to know? This is the amazing thing. The sovereign God of power wants Moses to know that he's good, that the Lord is good. The Lord is good. And I want to tell you, Mishpacha, Moses had such an experience that day that he deeply knew the goodness of God, and he held on to it. And as we read this week, God rejects Moses' requests. He does not give in to Moses begging him. God says no to Moses. And here's what's so important. Moses receives that no. He wasn't neutral. He wasn't undesirous of what he was pleading about. He embraced God's authority at the same time that he embraced God's goodness. And it's not easy to do that. If you don't care about something and you ask for it and you don't get it, who cares? You didn't care anyway. But if you care about something and you're, you're desperate for it and you ask and you ask and you don't get it, it's so easy to get that wound or that hard heart that starts accusing the one who won't say yes to you. Moses didn't do it. When God said to Moses, stop talking already, Moses received that. And he tells us. Moses shares it with us. And so we know too. This may not be so popular in our modern culture where people can be really soft. (laughs) So soft, they can't grow. So soft, they can't survive. So soft, they can't face the realities of life. Moses was not a softie. 
The Lord wasn't a softy, but the Lord is compassionate. And so this is the challenge for us is to recognize that God can be strong and he can also be tender. They can both be true. In fact, this is what I think. We become stronger when we press into God and when we talk to the Lord honestly, when we tell him the truth, when we tell him what's really in our heart and what we really want, when we don't, you know, put spiritual shellac on it or try to wax it and make it shine. We tell him the truth, the raw truth from our hearts. And then we grow when he responds to us even when he doesn't agree with us. When we talk honestly to him and he talks honestly to us and then we embrace what he says. It is hard, but I can tell you this. When we take his answers to heart, especially when he disagrees with us, we become stronger. At the end of Moses' life, which we'll read about later in this book, we see that the Lord who said no to Moses is the same Lord who comes to Moses at the end of his days. And as I understand it, takes Moses into his arms and carries him. He digs a grave for Moses, and the Lord himself buries Moses. That's crazy. But that's what the Scripture says. We'll read about it later. But it says the Lord buried Moses, which is so troubling for people who think that God could not possibly use a shovel. That, that many commentators have tried to figure out how to work around what the text says. And they think, oh, it was an angel who came who did it. Or some, some really inventive commentators have said, no, Moses dug his own grave. But even if we grant that, how do you dig your own grave, die? I mean, you can crawl into the grave and then die, but you can't cover yourself up. And the idea, I mean, it just doesn't work for me that Moses still alive is like pulling dirt on top of himself in order to resolve the complex solution that people came up with. Now, the simple language of the scripture is so challenging. It says that the Lord buried Moses, and only the Lord knows where he's buried. I think it's a great story. Second story. It's a parable Yeshua told. It's only mentioned in Matthew's gospel. And whenever I read the story, I think Yeshua is looking for people who say no. And the story is meant to get us thinking. In fact, it starts with that point, Matthew 21, verse 28. Yeshua says, so what do you think? And then he tells a story. So what do you think? He tells the story. And you know he wants people to be thinking about the story and that he's going to ask them something. So here's the story. There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first one and he said, son, 
go and work today in the vineyard. And that son said, no, I will not. But later, that son changed his mind. The, the Greek is a word for changing his mind. It's also the word for repent. He changed his mind and he went. And then the man went to his second son and told him the same thing. And he said, yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. So that's the story Yeshua is telling. There's more to it, obviously. But I try to imagine myself being there and hearing this story, and I've just heard this part, and I'm thinking, where's he going with this? And I wonder, what will Yeshua say next? Because I'm one of those people, I want to be ready for the pop quiz. Some people hated pop quizzes. I just wanted to be ready. And so I'm thinking, what's he going to ask? Is he going to ask, which son was more polite? Or will he ask, which son had the better attitude when the father gave the assignment? But those are not the questions that Yeshua actually asked. He asked a completely different question. We have to go to verse 31 to get to it. And remember, Yeshua started by saying, what do you think? So he's telling this story. And here's the question, it's verse 31. Which of these two sons did the will of the Father? And they all said, the first. So that's what Yeshua wants them to think about. Which son did the will of the Father? Who ultimately did what the Father wanted? Not who said they would, not who said they wouldn't, just who did. And they answer correctly is the first one, the one who said no. The one who said no turns out to be the good guy in the story. And that makes me go, hmm. It's provocative, isn't it? It's thought-provoking, the one who said no and it gets me thinking, how can the one who says no be the good guy? And that's the whole point of Yeshua telling this kind of story. He's trying to get people to think more clearly with insight about themselves and the situations that they're in. He's trying to open their thinking. And that's why he tells these stories that have a little twist to them just for fun, I asked ChatGPT to take my notes and the Bible text and to rewrite this story for teenagers. Yeah, I thought it'd be a great experiment. And so it rewrites the story for the teenagers who are here, and I thought, We'll see just how good a parent ChatGPT is. Or how messianic, meaning like Messiah, ChatGPT thinks. 
So chat GPT comes up with a totally different story. And the story is something like this. There are two sons, and the father goes to each one of them separately and tells them to go work, and they say, sure. And they both do, and they have this great fellowship with their dad, and they really learn how important it is to get along with each other and all this. And I thought, that is not the story. That's not retelling the story. That's a fairy tale story. That's the kind of story any, any artificial intelligence could make up. That's not what Yeshua told. So I gave ChatGPT an F. And it has this feature where you can say regenerate, you know, like try again. And I thought, no, you failed. <laughs> you failed, and I'm not giving you a second chance on this assignment. On another one, maybe. I like technology, by the way. I just don't trust it. So how is it that the one who says no, the, the son who says no, turns out to be the good guy? And I think it's because he reconsidered, he changed his mind. He said no, but then he thought about it later and did what his father asked him to do. And who turns out to be not so good is the one who said, yes, dad, I'll always do what you want. If any of you remember Leave It to Beaver, the TV series, this is Eddie Haskell. He's always smiling. But you know, deep down, something's going on. So what's also interesting to me is the second one, the one who said, yes, sir, seems to have changed his mind. But I'm not... 100% sure about that. Maybe he decided not to do what his father asked him to do, that he had said yes. But there's another possibility, and that is he never intended to do it. He said yes because he says yes, but he's passive aggressive. He really means no. He just doesn't say no. In either case, the way Yeshua tells the story, the polite response counts for nothing. Because Yeshua is not asking us which one had a more polite response to their father. He just wants to know who did it, who did what the father asked. And it helps us start thinking about stuff because maybe we're quick to say no. And then maybe we wrestle with our no and we deal with our own responses and we have to like work things out. Some people have a delay circuit on their yes. Their first response is no. And then they think about it and then they, yeah, okay, maybe so. And such people don't go straight to yes. They want to go straight to yes, but they don't. What comes out of their mouth is no. And it's understandable in young people 
Um, sometimes older people, though, are the same. I want to say yes, but I don't. It seems, for me, sometimes my no just comes out faster. It gets out first. And I think of it like this. No and yes are standing in line, but no's at the front of the line. <laughs> and before yes even gets a chance, no comes out. No. It's like my no always wants to go first. It tries to elbow its way to the front. It comes out of my mouth, and then my heart regrets it. Some of you can relate to this. I was leading one person years ago, decades ago, who had to say no at least for 24 hours. And it took, it took that person 24 hours of saying absolutely no. And then they'd come back with an open heart and say, you know, I thought about that. Yes. The answer is yes. And so I learned not to worry about that 24 hours. Let that person process things. And like clockwork, 24 hours, they're back, and everything's okay. But let's go on. Matthew 21, verse 31. Because Yeshua has asked this to some people who are pretty spiritual. And he says to them, let me tell you the truth. Tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. John came to you in a righteous way, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw that happening, you didn't change your mind. You didn't repent and believe him. And so Yeshua is saying, the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they're like the son who said no. They were disrespectful. They were impolite. They were disobedient. But... And let's say that together. But, but, they repented and changed their minds. And in this story, the religious folk, they're like the son who said yes. They were respectful. They were polite. They were proper. They were religious. Let's say this together. But, <laughs> but, they didn't believe what John was telling them. And when they saw others who had been saying no to God, and now they were saying yes to the Lord, they saw that, but they didn't change their own mind. They didn't change their perspective. They didn't change their attitude. They didn't have a change of heart. And so who did the will of the Father? That's what Yeshua wants them to think about. Who did the will of the Father in the story? Who's doing the will of the Father in real life? That's what Yeshua wants us to think about and to apply to ourselves. Moses had struggled with accepting the will of God and doing it. It's something we all will face in different ways at different times. We all will face the painful struggle to embrace and do the will of God. Take this cup from me, Yeshua said. 
And he could say that because he had come as a son, and every son, every daughter will struggle with these. These parables can be so useful because they can open up hidden processes at work, and they can help us remember even simple things and apply them. Actions speak louder than words. It's a great story. I love, I love this story from Yeshua. Years ago, I said yes to the Lord's call to be a shepherd of the house of Israel, and as a result, Sandy and I moved to Rochester, New York to serve my mentor, David Young, to learn about pastoring close up from him. We sold our business, we sold our house, we moved away from family, and we had a purpose. But there was a moment after we moved when I was so disappointed because I was sure that I would start working in the congregation with David. And instead, I had to get a new job in business. And I couldn't understand what was happening and why. And I was pleading with the Lord, sort of like Moses did. And with tears, I was saying, Lord, you called me to be a shepherd. And I said, yes. And now I have to go get another job? And I'm pleading with him, why wasn't I going to work as a shepherd? And the Lord answered my question right then and there. And this is how I remember it. He said something like this, your identity is too tied up in your work and what you do for a living. Your identity needs to be this. You're my son. I love you. And I thought, okay, if I agree, can I go to work like that? And his no was still no. He wanted me to be a shepherd, but it didn't matter to him the way it mattered to me if I earned my living that way. And so something in my mind had to change in my heart and my expectation. And I know as I look back who I am, I was called to be a shepherd and to do that whether it's my job or not. Amen. Because first of all, I'm his son. Amen. And I relate to what Moses went through. It may be what we all need to go through. All of God's people are called to be children of God. Children. And that's why the Spirit of God in us calls to God and says, Abba. That's right, Karen. Abba. The Spirit of God in us calls out to God and says, Abba. And it's very much like the Lord standing next to Moses, calling out to the Lord who's passing by. The Lord calls to the Lord. It's kind of crazy, but that's how the Scriptures describe it all. Now, I want to speak to anyone and everyone, whether you're here in the sanctuary today or you're watching by live stream or listening later by podcast. If you've been saying no to God, I want to tell you, today's a good day to turn around. 
and to go in a new direction, and this time the new direction is with the Lord. It's a good time to face the issues of the heart, to ask for forgiveness, and to, to come to terms with this. Yeshua has become our atoning sacrifice, our kinsman redeemer, our Passover lamb. It's time to turn to Messiah and receive a new heart from the Lord and a new spirit from the Lord. And we start by honest prayer with the Lord, simple things like, Lord, I turn to you. You're, you're the Lord. You are my Redeemer. Thank you for making a way for me to be part of your family. Thank you for giving me new life and Messiah. I want to love you with all my heart, soul, and strength and to live for you all the days of my life. In Yeshua's name I pray. Amen. It's a simple way of starting, of being decisive and concise. It's not everything, but it's a beginning. And it's a way of turning your no into a yes. Now, I want to end today with two useful traditional Hebrew prayers that are based on Scripture. One is from Psalm 19, verse 14. imre fi. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, my kinsman redeemer. And then the second one is from Zechariah chapter 14, verse 9. It's known as Vene'amar in the Siddur. It has been prophesied. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth, and in that day the Lord shall be echad. He shall be one, and his name one. The Lord who calls out to the Lord is one Lord. The Lord in us who calls out Abba is one Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness in pouring out the gift of repentance that leads to life through Messiah Yeshua. Amen. Let's stand up now. We're going to close. I want to thank everyone for joining us today. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. And for those of you who are participating by live stream and podcast, would you consider standing with us financially? You can find out all the information at our webpage, bethisraelnow.com giving. And the pull-down menu marked giving on that page gives you additional information. And I'm so happy to be standing with my favorite cantor, captain, com commodore. Commodore, yeah. How many more C's do we have for you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Aaron Jacobs. He had a great message uh, recently on legacy. I want to encourage you to listen to that. It's, it's all part of a theme of what's developing that the Lord wants us all to embrace. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha, ye'er Adonai p'navelecha v'yichunecha, yisa Adonai p'navelecha v'yasem lecha, shalom. 
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen.